Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Hello. How's it going? It's good. Um, I enjoyed a beautiful rainstorm lulling me to sleep last night. And this evening, I get to go watch a giant wooden troll be set on fire. So That's I feel right. like I'm living my best life. Do you want to explain that so people are less confused? Uh, sure. Although, don't you think that's the kind of thing being confused is for? But uh, right, right. yes. Yeah. So there is a town outside of Madison called Mount Horeb that is heavily Norwegian and has made it being a troll haven kind of its thing. So lots of like... Scandinavian trolls, not internet trolls. Right. Um, Although, if we want to burn them, I would support it. I mean, I would put an internet troll inside the troll, <laughs> like Wicker Man style. Yeah. Um, so some people there have decided they wanted to do their own version of a vaguely Burning Man thing with music and food and fire dancers and whatever. But instead of building a giant dude to burn, they will burn a troll. So it's called Burning Troll. I love this. I support it a thousand percent. Uh, yes. So I'm going with my sister and I am quite, uh, quite excited about it. Excellent. Uh, I, what am I doing? I started writing everybody. That's very exciting. I write oh, for a living, but, you know, not creative writing at the moment. Uh, so yeah, that was exciting. Probably nothing will happen with it. It just, my brain is happy. So that's good. Um, brain and, happy, like keeping your brain happy is important because it's amazing yes. how quickly you start to go completely insane when uh, you ignore that sort of stuff. Especially now being work from home. You know, I'm, I'm lucky that I can work from home, but also uh, I'd say I'm 25% crazier. And I know we're not supposed to use that word, but I can say it about myself. Please don't send me angry emails. Yeah, you um, are allowed to say that you're you yourself. And, and is an insane woman. Yes. Uh, so mental health, you know, challenging. So I think it's important to, uh, especially if you're a creative, to create, even if nobody sees it, even if you're going to write it and just burn it right after, it's still important. Uh, I was going to say something about, oh, when you mentioned uh, sleeping or something, I think you mentioned, oh, when you were going to sleep with the rain. So... I have this app on my phone and I've been using the free trial of it, but I think I need to go all in and just get like one year subscription just to see what's going on where it records sound while you're sleeping. So I originally wanted to know if I was like talking in my sleep. Okay. But what it, it it's very smart the way they do it. They'll give you like a free sample. So from like midnight to 2 a.m., They'll give you those audio files and then they show the activity after 2 a.m. And this might be like a marketing strategy, but after 2 a.m., you see how much activity there is. And I pop the fuck off after 2 a.m. <laughs> like the audio bars are suddenly like skyrocketing. And I'm like, what is happening after 2 a.m.? And I'm wondering if stuff is actually happening or if that's just them being very clever. So I get the trial and I'll listen to it and then it'll turn out to be like nothing, you know? Yeah. Although I do feel like that would be a very weird marketing gimmick for them to uh, to use because it wouldn't keep customers if you well, were... 
But it kind of wouldn't matter at that point because they get your money. And then, you know, some people forget to cancel or whatever. But I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how honest. So if anybody knows, uh, the app is, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, God, where did it go? Sleep Talk? It's called Sleep Talk. Why couldn't I remember that? Uh, so if anybody has any experience with it, please let me know. Because I'm just like, what the fuck is going on between the hours of, like, 3 and 6? Yeah. Because at the moment, all I have is like a series of audio files of me. Apparently, I like, I go all over the fucking place when I'm sleeping. I'm tossing, I'm turning, I'm snoring a little bit, but I haven't heard anything too compelling yet. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I have been told I do talk in my sleep, which is the whole reason I got into this. Um, yeah, apparently, I, I can get quite chatty. Interesting. I know that I will often talk in my sleep. Uh, but it tends to be more, uh, like if I'm sick, like if I'm sleeping badly, I talk in my sleep, but I sleepwalk sometimes if I'm sick, uh, you know, if it's weird, if I drink beer that night, I tend to sleepwalk a lot and it's just beer. Mm, Yeah. Don't know why. Don't know why. But, uh, I've sleepwalked, sleepwalked, sleepwalked a few times after drinking beer and yeah, so I apparently I'm just a little ball of action at night. I'm sure it has nothing to do with my anxiety. Nothing sure. at all. I'm Unrelated. sure it doesn't. It has nothing to do with like the fact that you wake up at you know ungodly hours and can't seem to get back to sleep. Like and I'm have sure to that take none of a these lot of things... medication to go to bed. Yeah, I'm sure these things are unrelated. Let's not think too deeply about them. So before we get into recommendations and all that stuff. Do you have any, like, updates? Not updates is the wrong word, but do you have anything you want to share? We're now, like, 100-plus days into uh, the strike uh, with the writers and the actors. And the only update I have, really, obviously, ongoing solidarity. Apparently, they're starting the talks again. Hopefully, these fucking studios will just give the people who make everything that gives them value what they want. But my only update is, I don't know if you saw this, somebody posted a photo uh, on the picket lines the other day of Michael Shannon and Sam Rockwell. Yes, I saw that photo. And I realized my type is character actors because I was like, those are like two of my all time big crushes, Michael Shannon and Sam Rockwell. And people were like, bad news to the studios the scary character actors have joined the picket lines and I was like oh my god is my type scary character actor because I think Sam Rockwell and Michael Shannon are extremely hot Uh, yeah but like I feel like if we've had this conversation multiple times before and agreed that your type is it's scary scary character actor actor. yeah yeah uh I said character actor which we can just (laughs) Uh, abbreviated to that if we want but yeah I seeing them together I was like hey hottie parade and I thought that's why the person posted the photo but they posted it because they're like these are scary character actors and I was like oh I thought you were posting that because you were like check out these hot <laughs> they were just like ah and I was like oh I think that's my type ah some people are frightened by these men I guess uh. are you I mean even Michael Shannon's trying to be scary I'm like hey 
Hey, I know, but that's why you've literally written a um, reductress piece sure. about. I could him. do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, woman and specifically attract- finding. Hunt. I think the headline was "Woman Attracted to the Most Problematic Character in the Movie Again," or it was like, "Uh oh, Woman Attracted <laughs> to the Most Problematic Character in the Movie Again." Yeah, it it happens, guys, and it's usually Michael yeah. Shannon. Just shamelessly about Michael Shannon every time. Exactly, and that's okay. I mean, I've uh, I've watched his Criterion Closet bit multiple times Uh, he's like such a gift there are certain actors who just give us so many memes and he is one of them so i thank him for his service yes exactly um so if there's any updates like strike wise or like things that just general thoughts anything you wanted to chat about i would like to um shout out the genre actors who have decided that this is the time for them to really show their whole ass. So not just Stephen Amell from Green uh, Arrow. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Robert Beltran from Star Trek Voyager, oh. uh, who decided to pull a like, oh, aren't I such a free speech warrior thing at a con that Michelle Hurd, one of the heads of SAG and star of Picard, uh, had fought tirelessly for so that there was an allowance for actors to go and talk about not like projects that weren't struck. So she's there with Jerry Ryan mm-hmm. and this guy who played Ch- Chicote on Star Trek Voyager. Uh, and he stands up and he starts in their faces talking about struck projects and is like ha ha like you can't control what i say free speech blah 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 um and it was the grossest thing that has ever happened wow yeah i i should say since we were talking about green arrow so Stephen amel uh is that how you say his name i don't even know but anyway i have no idea i don't care enough about him to say it right Everybody was posting <laughs> photos of like the rest of the Green Arrow cast at the picket line. I, I guess we should mention he did join uh, the he was on the opposite coast. He did go to a picket line, I'm sure, because his agent was like, you have to go. <laughs> you look like a fucking asshole if you don't go. Yeah, uh, you, and you will, absolutely need to do this immediately. You will get blacklisted forever if you turn on the union. Yeah. Uh, so he was on the picket line who weekly posted a very funny photo of his face. though. he does not look happy. <laughs> No. <laughs> so that was very funny. But he did, just to be fair, because everybody was posting the photo of the rest of the cast on the picket line because they were in California, I believe. Um, he did go. So they had to twist his arm, but he was with the union. So he's an asshole, but he's not unforgivably that big of an asshole. Well, I appreciate that there have been a number of blind items that are like, everybody hates this man and working with him sucked. He's awful, apparently, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, God, you are just gunning for a spot on Candace Cameron Bure's Christian Romance Network. Him and, um, what's his name, Shazam. Uh, I wish they would all just go on her network and fuck off forever. Yes, that would be absolutely wonderful. Just fuck off into the sea, into the sun. Yeah, whatever, and ever, never. Yeah, so as always, we will end this episode um with our, our great uh audio clip that will play until i maybe i actually won't give away the the, <laughs> the surprise if you don't know what i'm talking about um but until the strike is over i will continue to play that because um yeah fuck these studios 
fuck these executives, um, fire them into the sun. Yeah. And let us all appreciate that the WGA and SAG are busting their asses and continue to have really smart things to say and refuse to let the AMPTP uh, control the narrative and have their side be the only description. I think they're going to end up, they're certainly going to end up fucking these guys way harder than they expected. Um, Somebody the other day was like, and I don't know if this is true, but it, you know, knowing their salary, it sounds like it could be true that like Bob Iger makes $87,000 an hour. Yes. (laughs) And I was just like, for whatever reason, when I hear an annual salary, it's almost like too big of a figure for me to comprehend because I'll never have that much money in my entire life. But just breaking it down to an hourly wage like that, for some reason, infuriated me so much more. <laughs> I mean, he makes like three and a half SAG qualifying health insurance actors yeah. an hour. Meanwhile, <laughs> there are like, there are actors who and writers who we would consider to be quite successful. Like I think Billy Porter is the one who got the most press recently. I think most people would consider them to be like very successful in their field. And they recently came out and said, well, I had to sell my house because of the strike, not because of the strike, but because of like, you know, the studios not negotiating fairly with the writers and the actors, hence the strike, but they are no longer going to be able to work on projects that were coming up and you know they they couldn't pay the mortgage so they had to sell their house and that was like a lot of people were being very mean about that where they were like well then you were living beyond your means you know you should have budgeted better it's like no 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 this is just the reality of working as an artist this is a very successful person who you know thought they had projects that they would be able to rely on coming up and now those projects can't happen because of the studios and it completely derailed their life. And this is a person who like most people would consider to be successful. So mind you, the vast majority of actors and writers are not even at that level of success. Right. So, They're the people with regular jobs on top of the work that yeah, they do. Yeah. So imagine what's happening to them because of these studios. So just always keep that in mind because a lot of these headlines are saying due to the strike, this is happening. The strike is only happening because of the greedy studios and the greedy executives. So every headline should say, because of the studios refusing to negotiate with the writers and the actors, everything else is happening. It's not due to the strike. Right. Um, and on that, you know, with that Billy Porter stuff, like people, you don't sell your house when you've run out of all of your money. You know, exactly. like, yeah. that is a move that you make because you recognize you have to do the work to have liquidity to survive like yeah if anything, down the line like anything, that's recognizing yeah it's a responsible decision to sell the house like what would be irresponsible is to not sell the house and to stay in a place that you potentially think you won't be able to afford in like six months you know so and also by the way that is just the reality of working in this industry like you i think a lot of people think once you're at that level of success you just get to coast. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's why occasionally you hear these stories of like ostensibly very successful actors working like day gigs. You know, I remember uh, after Stranger Things really popped off, people were surprised that the kid who plays Dustin 
kept his job at, I think, a restaurant or a diner or something. Yeah. And people were like, oh, that's really weird. And I was like, no, it's not. Like, he, you know, he's very successful in theater and stuff like that, too. But those takes are not consistent ever. Well, and what a lot of people have said about the strike is, you know, you when you sign on to shows like this, especially on something like Netflix, like Netflix, but you know, at any place, like companies lock you in so you can't do other work for enormous chunks of time. Like they have the right to keep you from doing other work because you're attached to this show. Right. And there is like a production period that they're figuring out. Like, even if there's not filming to do, they can still keep you from working. Yes, exactly. And when you have that kind of exclusivity built in, you have to have another job because how are you supposed to make money if you can't do the art part of your job? Like, it's not as if they... They don't pay you enough to survive the entire two years between seasons. (laughs) Right. And that's why more and more, you know, so many artists are multi hyphenates because it's like you can't just be an actor. Right. You also have to be a writer. You have to be like a producer. So that's why we're also seeing a lot of crossover between protests, which is cool because like it's more solidarity. But, you know, more and more these days, a lot of actors are writers and you know, a lot of writers are actors. So, but it's because of that, because there are these like down periods where it's like, shit, I got to do something else. I got to pay the rent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so we should, you know, once again, fuck the AMPTP. Forever and always. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you want to do, I should have like thrown this at you before we started recording so you could get your thoughts together but I just wanted to pour one out for William Friedkin um one of the greatest to ever do it um you know director of probably my favorite horror film ever The Exorcist um Meredith and I had been talking about this and we're going to get to it later in the episode but so few filmmakers understand what's scary about possession and and the (laughs) devil and i feel like you know william did it the best and nobody's ever going to be able to touch what he did with the exorcist and that is such a special movie um and if i'm you know i'm sure y'all have seen it but if you haven't or if you haven't seen it in a while i gotta rewatch it myself but it's just, what a fucking banger of a film. And it I holds mean, up. It holds yeah, up, you know? I, I had had to actually do a thing, um, sort of a fact check a thing about The Exorcist because its 50th anniversary is coming up in December. Yeah. Um, and so I went down this huge William Friedkin hole. And so obviously I have plenty of thoughts that I, that just live in my head. <laughs> uh, it's fascinating to me that yeah, he worked so hard and did insane person things to make it. I mean, like keeping the the set was being cooled by industrial fans yeah. the whole time. So like Linda Blair was fucking getting hypothermia while everybody else was in these giant parkas. Oh, God. Uh, like, you know, she had a spinal fracture because the harness that she was in when the bed was levitating uh, like it came undone, and so yeah. she ended up like getting flopped around and like really hurt herself. Yeah, she like, got fucked up during that movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and of course, this is like the kind of thing that crazy directors do. But like Friedkin 
was truly bonkers <laughs> in the way that he did everything. I mean, yeah. like managed to shoot, like shut down a highway in Los Angeles when making to live and die in LA for two days so that they could shoot car chases when they were driving the wrong way down the highway. Can you imagine uh, explaining you know, your boss why you're late and you're like, all right, there's a director named William Friedkin and he is fucking insane. Well, and he would like get in the car, like in several other stunt films when they were doing car chases, he just shot at himself in the back seat yeah. because he was like, well, that's the way to make sure that nobody gets <laughs> injured because then if I die, it's just me. Right. And I'm like, to be the person who decided that's how you're going to film the French Connection car chase scenes. Somebody else just, oh, Sodenberg, because I, I was going to recommend this later in the episode and we can get back to it. <laughs> we can circle back to it. Uh, it's called Full Circle on HBO and it's great, but something that I didn't notice because I was so into it is uh, he shot a lot of the scenes that take place in cars himself. And I didn't realize how funny it was where if there's like three characters, there's the driver and then the other two characters are in the back seat. Yeah. They can't be in the passenger seat because Steven Sodenberg is filming. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I didn't realize how fucking obvious that was that, yeah, they're in the back seat because the director's in the passenger seat. Gotta do it all. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I think there's just not going to be another crazy person like him. I mean, his interviews are insane. The things that he says on commentary tracks, like um, the glee with which he, on the cruising uh, commentary track, Friedkin says, well, the first cut that I submitted to the uh, to the ratings board had 40 minutes of just hardcore uncut male <laughs> pornography. <laughs> and you know. it's like, you know, because you just do that. And I'm like, you shot that. Um, and yeah, the, the man just had a way of being like his interviews are crazy. He was irascible, but truly the kind of person who just didn't give a shit, but in a great way and, and loved to work. So check out some of his movies. In addition to the exorcist, there's sorcerer to live and die in LA. Um, he made some very strange movies uh, in his later career, many of which are absolutely terrible, but still fun to check out. <laughs> yeah. I, and um... he's got a movie coming out in September. He made another film and like died just before it premiered. Right, right. So yeah. the guy was working until the very, very end. And it's going to really suck as more of these big, giant directors start passing away because they're all in their damn 80s. And that kind but... of goes back to the conversation about the industry where I am so sick of seeing this conversation where people are like, where are our great movie stars? Where have our great directors gone? And it's like, this is what happens when you don't support fledgling artists on their way up. The only reason we have Spielberg, uh, we had Friedkin, we had, you know, Scorsese, we have these great giants is they were given a fucking chance and they were supported by other artists primarily. But, you know, the industry is just so brutal now that you can't fucking make a living as a young director, you know? Like, you got to have three other jobs. And, like, it's it's just the re result of hyper-capitalism why we have this talent drain now quite frankly yeah I mean there's not there's no way to live 
in order to get established. And things are such that there's not like no studios interested in taking chances. Um, they're so scared. Like, honestly, there's so many executives who, you know, I see this on Twitter all the time. People are like, why are the same five actors in every fucking film? And it's like, these executives, and not even at like the Bob Iger level, but like, you know, steps below him, they're so afraid of making a mistake and losing money and getting fucking fired that they're like, fuck it, let's put Anya Taylor-Joy in another thing. Right. I mean, it's it's goes beyond just the IP stuff. It's this sense that like, because there's so much that is beholden to the quarterly earnings call. Yeah. Everyone exactly. makes the safest bet because they have to be able to impress shareholders and say, we think this is going to be good and then find creative ways to do weird tax work when some of those movies fail. Like right. it's become like their own, that structure of dealing with things is completely separate from the question of whether there's real art that can be made because the art is not actually what matters to these people. You know, it's like, what product are we making money off of yeah, during this three month say, period? Like, there are still people making dope shit. You're just going to see it more and more happening outside of the traditional studio system because like yeah. people will never stop creating. Right. It's just unfortunate because it's like fewer eyes will probably be on it because we don't have this homogenous culture anymore. People just are fractioning off to, you know, self-fund. Um, we have like A24 is probably the most successful example of people breaking off to do their own thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be dope shit will still be made, but fewer eyes will be on it. And that's unfortunate because the coolest stuff is happening outside of the traditional studio system. Yeah, well, you know, that seems like a great segue into uh, the dope shit that has actually managed to break through in the movie Talk to Me. Well, should we get yeah. into it? <laughs> I didn't know if we should get right into that or if you wanted to recap your Barbie experience. <laughs> oh, see, that's tough because I like I rented a movie theater, uh -huh. 55 friends and acquaintances and new friends came to watch Barbie and uh, we all just ate and drank and cheered and cried and giggled together uh, for, for the film. And it was, everyone was encouraged to dress up. One of my friends wore a pink jumpsuit and brought her Cher Barbie doll. Um, oh my God. Which was extremely important, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had, you know, I was a regular Barbie. I, I called myself Palm Springs Barbie because <laughs> nice. I had a very uh, Palm Springsy pink dress. Uh -huh. but we did have one fucked up Barbie who uh, we have many photos of her just sprawled in the aisles of the movie theater. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Fun. And and many of the, the mothers uh, did a lot of cheering on the, yeah, that's right. Or yeah, kids suck. <laughs> My favorite moment is probably, and it's so cute and it's so quick, when American Ferrara looks at her daughter and she goes, you look so pretty. And her mom's like, her daughter's like, shut up, mom. <laughs> it's like, yes. that is such a great mother-daughter moment where it's like, yeah. Sometimes you catch your mom looking at you and she's just like, you're pretty. And it's the sweetest moment. But for some reason, it annoys you. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, oh, why are you 
is this the time you're going to have feelings? I don't need this right now. Right, right. I'm too much in, I'm in my, my own mood right yeah. now. Yeah. So Mike, what all I really have to say is it was a beautiful experience and I'm very, very happy that I rented this theater so that people could do that. Hell yeah. Um, it probably would have been just fine to see it on my own in a crowd of people who were excited, but it felt really special to get to watch it and enjoy it and feel so seen and served as a woman of the exact generation that that movie is aimed at because Greta Gerwig is the same age as us. So (laughs) yeah. Did you get what I meant about now that you've seen it, we can, you know, talk about it with spoilers, but how some of the feminism stuff is very like 2018, but in a way where I was sort of like, don't be shitty about it. Some people, a lot of people still need to hear this. I'm sure. Yeah. uh, But I also felt like, if you're going to make a movie that has a feminist message and you're making Barbie, I don't know that it's very, I don't know how you would make it in a way that didn't have a sort of 2018 ish pop feminism to it. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, And also like, just to remember that, you know, everybody's in a bubble whenever they're like the elites are in a bubble. It's like, well, middle America is in a bubble too. Um, But that just because we know stuff, doesn't mean that other people don't need to hear it. And maybe we shouldn't be shitty about <laughs> that stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I also just felt like it was so full of real feeling and like kindness and a desire to create space for people to feel better about themselves. And I know that's weird to talk about with a doll, but there was such a genuine sense of sweetness that it felt okay. Like I, I wasn't yeah. bothered by some of those things. And the only reason I didn't give it five stars is I think it's impossible to get around the fact that it is IP entertainment. And, you know, as I said before on the show, I was like, I knew because it was Greta Gerwig, this is the smartest version of Barbie that we'll get. But ultimately, Barbie is still IP and it is still capitalism and consumerism and there are moments in the film that are very like self-conscious and defensive of that fact I I think um but again I'm like can you imagine if she hadn't addressed it that criticism would have been like uh how are you not going to talk about that the doll Barbie is like a symbol of over consumption in America yeah and uh you know I thought there were some bits like the I thought the line about the mother standstill thing, like I'm on the okay, that is pretty cheesy and I don't yeah. understand what the hell that's supposed to mean. I think but- it means so what I think it means is and you know, I, I know it's like a joke now, but I think like it's sort of addressing the fact that sometimes mothers can't I don't know, like I think we as daughters sometimes have frustration with the older generation because we're like, why aren't you more this way? Like more like, I don't want to say woke, but like as progressive as us, you know? Yeah. Um, or why didn't you accomplish more? And like, I think it was sort of a defense of mothers where it's like, you know, they were doing their best and they were just trying to get you as far along as you could, you know? Yeah. That like where everybody is. Yeah. We make things impossible for women. And so at some point there it's, and it's not wrong that there are any number of women who basically decided that like, okay, I guess I don't live now. I really don't live for myself. So the only thing I can do is make sure that my children and my daughter specifically have 
better opportunities. I and do think maybe like, don't yeah, have to do that. I think Greta ultimately is like a very kind person. So I think a lot of the film was just like, hey, don't be so hard on your mom. <laughs> Yeah. It's like she's a mom now and Lady Bird was very much about that, like how she was looking back about how awful she was to her mother and her mom was just trying to pay the bills, you know? Um, yeah. So I think it was a lot of that too where it's like, hey, go easy on your mom. Like sometimes you might even be right in your criticism of her, but just like be a little more gentle. <laughs> yeah. It's like these, you can hold, try to hold two ideas at once. You can do that. Exactly. We trust that you have enough power to be annoyed and also sympathetic. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get into Talk to Me. Um, speaking of possession and possession films and uh, great possession films. So listen, I gave this movie five stars. I fucking love this movie. I was not familiar with the uh, Philippos, uh, the brothers, uh, yeah. when they had their YouTube channel and uh, I did go back and I watched some of their early videos and they're fucking good. They're really, really fun. So one of the most popular ones on their channel, they're called Raka Raka. Is that it? Yeah. Raka uh, Raka. So it was Star Wars versus Harry Potter. And they do all their own special effects, all their own stunts. And it fucking rips. It's really good. So if you're a fan of the Philippos and you like want to check out their history, go on to YouTube. Um, and they're still posting on that channel, too, which is really cool. Um, did you get a chance to listen to their interview with Sean Fennessy on Big Picture? I did. I did. Good, right? Yeah, it was very yeah. good. And I, I'm excited to see what they do next. I think it's great that the sequel has already been uh, greenlit because one of the reasons why the movie is so compelling and I think does stand apart from so much modern horror is it's a premise that is perfectly set up to do multiple takes on it. Right. And you can... An anthology. Yeah. Because... There is so much space because the idea is so powerful. Yes. And uh, my only sort of wet blanket comment about that interview at the end, and also we can bring Greta Gerwig into this as well, is the IPification of Hollywood, where we talked about this before on the show. Mattel, having seen the success of Barbie, now wants to make films about all of their merch. So... I don't know if it'll come to fruition, but Greta's been linked to Hot Wheels, that they're going to do a movie about Hot Wheels, and she might direct that. And also, the Philippos are doing Street Fighter. Right. Which I but, think they're uh, no. actually very well suited to do, and they're very excited about it, and I'm sure it will be great. That's the thing about these movies and the IP stuff. If you give these artists enough license to do whatever the fuck they want. Like the Filippos are very creative, talented guys. They're going to make a great street fighter film. Greta will do the smartest possible version of Hot Wheels. <laughs> if she does it that she can do. And like Narnia, she's going to do Narnia for Netflix and she'll do the smartest possible version of that. However, and I hope, you know, they, they take all this money and they go do creative shit with it. Non IP stuff. It is a little like, we humans don't live very long, and when the first 40 years of your life have to be spent in the studio system making IP, and then it's like, okay, and then you can go off and for the next 10 or 20 years do whatever the fuck you want. That's great that you now have the money to do that. It's just a little like, oh, fuck. It's a little bleak, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, it's very much like, okay, well, you know, if you work really hard when you're working and then you retire, then maybe you have a nice good 10 years to do whatever you, you want. You got 10 you can- years to do what's what your heart actually wanted to do the whole time. And it's like, yeah. Uh, and like, you know, that's an oversimplification, obviously Greta, like I'm sure, you know, loved doing like little women and, and stuff, Ladybird, I'm sure. But you do, it is this fucked system where it's like, so the Philippos have given us this wonderful, creative, excellently executed film that by the way introduced us to like new talent that they had to fight to be cast in this film because they obviously the studios wanted big names attached to it um but instead we got sophie wilde we never would have seen sophie wilde had the Philippos not fought for her to be in this film and she is like a massive new talent new quote-unquote she's been working for years right right like to us Americans, we have no exposure to Australian actors for the most part, unless they're Margot Robbie, right? Um, but you know, like they they did the smartest possible version of this, and it was still like they had to fight so hard for this excellent film. And now that like it's you know getting rave reviews and all of that, now I'm sure the studios will be like, oh yeah, yeah, we knew the whole time, we knew the whole time, and it's like, no, you fucking didn't, and they had to fight you. Yeah, you guys, come on. Uh, so. Yes, if you haven't seen, if you're not familiar with Talk to Me, it is a movie about teenagers, you know, you know very normal teenagers in the, the, they use their phones, they fuck around and have parties, they drink. Poor on the poorer side of the economic spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but thanks to a creepy porcelain hand, uh, they can get possessed. Yeah. And they start treating it like a party drug. So imagine treating party like imagine treating possession like it's ecstasy. And then they they film it. So they use their cell phones to film the possessions and these films have gone videos have gone viral and that's how the kids are learning about this party trick. So there's also this sort of like uh social media critique in the film where it's like sometimes the possessions are very uh, traumatic and awful and they're posting those videos too so there's a little bit of like uh, a critique of that as well yes the idea that uh people are so excited to have content that they don't really care about think people anymore <laughs> who are like suffering wildly uh, because they are possessed by evil spirits. And who supposedly uh. are your friends who you should be taking care of. Suddenly it's like they're not your friend anymore. They're just content. Exactly. Yeah. And that was so upsetting to me. Uh, that aspect in particular was so real and so cruel that I was just like, fuck. That's like the best kind of horror, right? It takes this thing that we've seen before, possession. But like updates it and elevates it where it suddenly has an interesting take on it. And I was just like, this is fucking brilliant. Yes. And that was, I think, watching young filmmakers, people who are younger than me by enough that it feels like they're of a slightly different generation. Yeah. uh, They made something that gives me plenty of anxiety, very legible, you know, like they made something scary about kids these days that felt urgent to me and didn't leave me feeling like, okay, 
you people are morons. Like it felt new and it was a new terrifying window into how everything that has existed in horror does end up being affected by technology and doesn't have to be like, oh, well, we're all on our phones. So maybe it's stealing our, <laughs> you know, maybe the phones are stealing our souls or like, what if there's a ghost in your eye chat kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. I, it reminded me of Black Mirror in a sense because Charlie Brooker always talked about that where he's like, Black Mirror isn't technology bad. It's people bad. So if people bad, technology bad. If people good, technology can be good. And I kind of feel the same way about this, where it's the 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 Philippos understanding that this ultimately has to be a film about people, not about possession. Right. And, and also, we have to care about yeah. these characters. We have to care about their relationships, which we do very much. I found the relationships in Talk to Me to be, like, very moving. Um, but they also really fundamentally understand what is scary about possession and about like demons, you know, or like the devil. And I think a lot of mo modern horror films don't understand that it's not about jump scares, right? It's about how profoundly scary things can alter your reality. And like that, I thought they like nailed where it's like the way the demons and we're like in spoiler territory now, but I'll try to keep it vague, uh, manipulate her reality and we understand eventually what is happening and she still doesn't and it's so frightening to see how like they're manipulating her yeah and i think the telling the story in a way that that keeps you uncertain of what's going on until basically the last possible second for the right. viewer to understand what's going on before you know, while the, the character still does it, like it keeps you on the journey with her so long that it's a really upsetting realization. And it also reminded me of It Follows, which I felt yes, yeah. made a lot of sense uh, in some ways because it's it's teenagers and dread. Um, and kind of like the drug metaphor. Yeah. And, cracked, and yeah. you know, these issues of perception. Uh, but it really like... I mean, the actors were so good. I was just on the edge of my seat the whole time. Yeah, um, the, the cast top yeah. to bottom. Like, obviously, Sophie, I think, runs away with it. But all of the kids are cast so well. I thought Marcus Johnson as her dad was phenomenal. Um, yeah, I, I fucking love this film. And it has a banger of an ending that I just thought was so cool and like something that I hadn't thought about before you know like in the sense of like what is a tormented spirit and who do they used to be and like even in like a perhaps we should have more compassion for <laughs> the, the idea of these people where it's like yeah if 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 we are conceding that this is real right which I'm saying I'm not saying it is but if you believe that tormented spirits exist and we can communicate with them the fact that we haven't actually expressed empathy about like who did you used to be is a little like fuck like and I'm sure other films have explored that but like at least in my memory of seeing like recent horror films I just thought it was like this oddly empathetic view of that that it really was refreshing yeah I mean the the ways in which being a ghost and existing in limbo erodes 
who you used to be that like the sheer set, like the sheer process of like not being able to rest, but not having connection will drive you insane. And not fully understanding what has even happened. That was another aspect of it where like, and I think anybody with like mania understands how this can be frightening, but the way they manipulate time at the end of the film and how fast time moves at the end. And she doesn't even fully comprehend what has happened was so frightening and disorienting. And by the time they have that like final punch at the end, you're sort of like, fuck, like for her, it's been seconds, you know? And like how that would be so frightening and like to again, come full circle, her first experience with the hand, how, the spirits reacted when she saw them the first time you suddenly fully can empathize with them and you're like yeah I would freak the fuck out too (laughs) I'd be like oh uh also gotta give it up to the very horny old woman uh spirit you know the poor woman just wanted to get laid you know I mean, who can blame her? Who can blame her? She saw a little hottie and she's like, I'm a suck his foot. And it's like, uh, yeah, this is which weird. was also extremely upsetting scene. <laughs> yeah, I think I said this to you, but like the Philippos, possibly because they're so young still, they understand that what's scarier to a teenager isn't jump scares. It's the idea of public humiliation. And they really tap into that in this film where it's like, you know, the the videotaping stuff, but also when she is possessed and she ends up sucking her crush's foot and he wakes up and he's like, ew, you're weird. How to a young person that is worse. Like he's going to run off and tell everybody she's a weird foot sucker. Yeah. Like as soon as that happens, I'm like, oh, absolutely. That's going to be the worst thing that's ever happened. And how to like to isolate her is so like mentally frightening where it's like she is these demons are like slowly chipping away at her support system until she has nothing. And that is so much scarier than like a jump scare, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think everybody should see it. It's fantastic. Go see it. I'm sure that was deeply confusing. If you haven't seen it, I'll, I'll put a spoiler warning on this, but uh, good on you. If you listen to everything and you haven't seen it yet. Um, yeah, I love talk to me and I'm so excited to see what these guys do going forward. It's so exciting that they're so young and that, once again, the studios are like, oh, my God, a horror film did well in the box office. And it's like, yeah, you fucking idiots. They do all the time. This happens every single time. There will be a horror film made pretty cheap with a strong female protagonist. And they're like, people want to see this. And it's like, yeah, you fucking moron. It's like, how many times does this have to happen before they recognize a pattern? You believed in young artists. And you did fight them, but they were successfully able to deliver the product they wanted to deliver, and people love it. So it's like, let these guys do whatever the fuck they want to do next. This thing's like, we did this last year when Barbarian came out. We do it every year. We do it every year, multiple times, and they are gobsmacked every single time it happens. And it's like, I don't know what to tell you guys. Like, There are so many young creators out there who can make you a great horror film on the cheap and make you a dick ton of profit. And you were surprised by it every single time. Yeah. Like, guys, you should really be making more of these. They don't all have to be terrible. Um, I wanted to shout out another film. Speaking of uh, young creatives, uh, did you get a chance to see They Cloned Tyrone yet? I have not. uh, But I am very excited to watch it because what a banger of a cast. And 
I'm very intrigued. I'm curious. Yeah. So I, it's on Netflix, I think. Um, but yeah, it's a banger of a cast. It's John Boyega. It's Jamie Foxx. Tayona Paris, who, if you saw Wanda, WandaVision, she was in that. Um, I didn't recognize her until no shit, like a half an hour into the film. And I was like, oh my God, that's Tayona. (laughs) She's a very different character. Um, I was just like, oh, this actress is great and she's so pretty. What else has she been in? And I Googled and I was like, holy shit, that's right. She's so good. She's so talented. Um, And yeah, I don't want to give too much away um, because you know it's very plot driven there's a lot of twists and turns but i just wanted to shout out jewel taylor um because it is like it has a very very strong uh viewpoint and i think it's executed extremely well i think that the three leads have amazing chemistry together and it's very very funny it's interesting um and yeah if you're into sci-fi and you like comedy check it out they clone tyrone yeah. And let Jewel um, Taylor do whatever the fuck they want to do next. As always, there are so many people who should be allowed to do whatever they want and not make a Marvel movie. Uh, Once again, like, and I can't say yeah. this enough, and I have said this in meetings before, just get the fuck out of their way. Like, you have the money, and I know you think you're special and you're creative. You're not. You're just like, you have a job. You basically have an office job and you get to sign off on this stuff, but the creatives do everything. And all you have to do is sign off on it and get the fuck out of the way. Exactly. Get the fuck out of the way. (laughs) More of that. We should just put it on a sign. Yeah. Uh, So I I sort of shouted this out already or recommended it, but um, Meredith, you should watch it as well. Full circle on HBO. Uh, I really had no idea what this was going to be about going into it. And I highly, highly recommend everybody go into it that way because it starts out as one thing and it takes a hard right. Like I really watching the pilot thought I knew what I was in for and I certainly did not. So it's got an amazing cast. Um, and yeah, I don't want to say anything else. I just kind of want everybody to go in blind, but it's very well done. Um, I flew through it because I was really, really engaged and immersed in it. You can't be on your phone. You do have to pay attention. That's all I'll say because it's very, very dense. And Sodenberg does not hold the viewer's hand. He never does. And <clears throat> you're going to feel lost sometimes. It's okay. Hang in there and everything will become clear. I mean, Soderbergh is somebody whose stuff I'll watch. Always, always. Always. Yeah. Because, um, and he's so fucking prolific. Like, he just seems like he seriously just cannot sit still. And once he has an idea, he's like, well, I guess I'm doing that now. And then six months later, he's like, got a movie out and he's already working on something else. And I'm like, okay, good for you, bro. He's um, a great example of doing your own thing. Like he has a website called extension 765 and uh, he posts his own content on there and you pay a fee and you can like watch his shit. So right now command Z is up there. I actually haven't seen it yet. It's on my to watch list, but he's a great example of, you know, obviously he works within the studio system, but he also works outside of it and just like does his own thing. Um, sometimes with studio support, sometimes like, you know, other means, but 
he's he's really inspirational for that reason and also what you were saying about you know being so prolific like he, the dude is always always working yeah and so i'm excited i do need to actually start watching full circle um and i will probably have to do it after after we burn the troll you know what i mean oh yeah absolutely burn the troll first um that is also advice i give people all the time burn the troll first and then you know, get to everything else. But that is obviously a priority. Um, <laughs> can I talk about seeing passages? <laughs> yes, please. I still need to hear everything about your experience. My God. Oh, my God. Okay. So if you don't know the backstory of passages, um, first of all, let me just say I did enjoy this film. I thought it was good. It is starring, I think the biggest name in it is Ben Wishaw, which when you say that, when you say the biggest name is Ben Wishaw, it's like, this is a small film. Although we love him and he is the voice of Paddington, so we do have to respect him, okay? Um, there, I apologize, I'm about to butcher their names, but the other character, uh, or the other actors are Franz Rogowski and Adele Extrachopoulos, let's just say, and pretend that's right. And they're both great. Um, it's directed by Iris Sachs, and the reason that Passages got a bit of press recently was they did receive an NC-17 rating uh, because of the sex scenes in the movie. Passages is about a gay couple where one of the men in the relationship uh, is bisexual and he falls in love with a woman. And not a spoiler, that's like in the synopsis of the film so there are a few sex scenes in the film and ira was warned by the the rating people like if you don't edit this we're going to give you an nc-17 rating and usually what happens in that situation is the director goes cool 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 i really want that r rating so i'm going to edit these sex scenes down and ira refused (laughs) yeah Hardcore refused. So uh, there were five people in my screening at Lincoln Center, because that's the only place that would show it. Um, And yeah, I I will say that I think the performances are very strong. The film is more like a sequence of scenes. I don't think it's a really like coherent narrative. Um, And also, listen, you know, I'm not a prude, right? Like I criticized the youngins for being a little too prude a lot i was watching these sex scenes and i was like we could have cut these down <laughs> and this You're story like, oh, okay and like i understand you want to build chemistry between the characters and you want to show like why these characters are so enamored and like the sex scenes are very hot the actors do a very good job i believe them not their fault they go on for a bit where i was like i bet if he had just like cut a couple minutes Maybe he could have gotten that R. Yeah. But at the same time, maybe he really just wanted the, I mean, who needs it? Sometimes you just want to be a little too explicit. Yeah. And that's fine. I was just a little sad because I think that actors do such a good job that I'm like, I wish more people could see it, you know? Um, But whatever. That was his choice. That's his right. The actors supported him. So, you know, good for Ira. You have to be very, very ballsy to make that decision. So I applaud him. You know, I was just watching it and I was like, this is going on a while. <laughs> but anyway, that like that was a small part of what I wanted to talk about with Passages. The main thing I wanted to talk about with Passages was I saw this film and I'm pretty sure witnessed an elderly gay couple break up during it. 
in a somewhat spectacular fashion. So we were like 10 minutes into passages and they showed up. So they were like in the middle of a fight and they were like bickering in themselves, right? And they sat in front of me and one of the dudes immediately hated that his partner chose those seats. So they started fighting about that. And then they moved behind me, which I was like, spectacular, amazing. Um, and they continue to like kind of fight under their breath. And it escalates, it escalates. They're like kind of like shouting in parts. And then they get quiet. And then one of them goes, this is during one of the sex scenes. So, you know, Ben and Franz are just going at it. And Ben's completely naked because he's having sex. And one of the little dudes goes, he has a nice body. But like kind of resentfully. So I was like, I couldn't figure out if they had fought about something completely different or if it was like already a jealousy based argument. And like, like I couldn't figure out if he was like turned on by Ben Wishaw or if he was pissed because there was like an attractive younger man that his partner was now looking at. And he was like, oh, do you like Ben Wishaw? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I love that this was such a, uh, you know, that you got to go on this journey and ask these questions because <sighs> there's just something really lovely about the idea that you're watching a movie, like a very horny movie about disaster bisexual. Yeah. And then you have. I witnessed an actual couple maybe break up during passages, which felt very on theme. You know, everybody's dressing up to go to Barbie and stuff like that. And I feel like passages version of that was me seeing a gay couple break up during passages. Yeah. And I think that's really that's beautiful. It's just so perfect. Um, and we need more moments. This is why movies are back. Because yes. these are the things that we didn't get for so much of the time that we had to be on lockdown. And there's what be I was more, thinking. We need more fights. By the way, know? an important part of this that I didn't mention was I brought snacks into passages. I don't know why. I thought it would be a good idea to bring snacks. And so I am like eating. What did I, I think I had peanut M&Ms. So I'm popping peanut M&Ms into my mouth, listening to a gay couple break up while watching passages. And I was just like, this feels right. It feel <laughs> movies are back. Movies are back, baby, was my thought in passages while a relationship was ending. Several <sighs> relationships were ending. Um, so yeah, we're almost done. But did you have any other quick recce recs you wanted to give everybody? Um, I watched last night the movie Cobweb with Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr. I need um, to watch them. It got very unceremoniously dumped uh, on Barbenheimer Day, I believe. Oh, um, yeah. And so now it's already, uh, and so now it's already on video on demand. Um, it really should have come out in October or later in September. Uh, Everybody I mean, should have immediately so... changed their dates. As soon as yeah. Barbenheimer's date dropped, why would you put your film up against that? Well, and why do you put a scary movie up against yeah. it? Like, and this is, I understand is an is an indie, but you just don't need to do that. Like, why are you? And I know their so calculation because they're fucking idiots. But I know how they think. They were like, because it's scary, we'll get a different audience. And it's like, no, you won't, you fucking idiots. Everybody who loves scary movies is going to go see Barbenheimer. <laughs> Everybody's seeing Barbenheimer. You can't defeat Barbenheimer. They'll watch something else. There are plenty of scary movies. We'll get there. This is not the, you know, this is not the flex. Also, people don't want to be scared quite yet. We're so close to spooky season. Yeah. You just wait. You just wait. Just yeah. waited a tiny bit. I mean, um, you and I want to be scared always, but like normal people. 
Right. I mean, people who aren't us and who don't explicitly watch every possible scary movie that comes out as soon as humanly possible. Um, So it's it's creepy family. Like, why are the parents being so overprotective? Why are they so weird? This kid's being bullied. Um, And he starts hearing a girl's voice in his bedroom wall or through his bedroom wall. I'm in. I'm already in. And um, things are creepy because the parents don't do normal things and they seem very upsetting. Um, And you want to get this kid out of there, but uh, there are problems. Cool. I'm so hyped. I'm going to check it out. On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for Dracula on a boat? Oh, I am a 10 out of 10. I can't wait to see it. I can't even tell you what the name of that film actually is. I'm just going to call it Dracula on a boat. (laughs) Dracula boat. Uh, it's Dracula boat. Last last voyage of the Demeter nope, is what it's, it's called. Hashtag Dracula boat. And <laughs> hashtag Dracula they're fucking boat. dumb for not naming it that. <laughs> Dracula's on a boat. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited for it. I by think- the way, that was always a scary. That is a scary part of that book, and like it, it's barely like a couple sentences. But yeah, before the actual story of Dracula pops off, they mention the fact that Dracula came to the country via boat. And like killed the entire crew. <laughs> and like they don't really go into detail. And you're like, what the fuck happened on that boat? So it, it's funny that it's taken this long to yeah. see. Yeah. And I appreciate that there's just space and interest in doing something like this, taking one of the most filmed. I think Dracula is the most filmed character. It's a great example um, of fan of these, fiction. But, you know. Like why fan fiction's great? Because what fan fiction does is take something that seems like an incidental detail and like blows it out and a lot of you know gay sex but aside from that (laughs) it's a great example of fan fiction where it's like these were just like two lines in this book and now it's a film and that's beautiful yeah and a film where we know exactly what we're gonna get dracula on a boat and we know they all die so part of the fun gets to be watching dracula kill these people and maybe fingers crossed gay sex yeah i mean it's on a boat it's on a boat you know what are these guys gonna do there's not that many women so little gay sex throw that in there Mm, i'm there yeah eating my peanut (laughs) m&ms all right everybody have a wonderful rest of your weekend please follow both of us on the socials at meredith l clark at allison kilkenny at light treason pod if you're a fan of the show go to lighttreason.news and smash that donate button it keeps the lights on. It, it keeps me able to pay my co-host, which I, I love to do, but I want to do as well. Um, and thank you for all the ongoing support. We love you. As always, if you have any recommendations, anything like that, contact us. We'll read it on the show. And yeah, um, until the strike is over, this is how we are going to end every episode. Enjoy. The motherfucker who said we're going to keep this thing going until people start losing their houses and their apartments. Listen to me, motherfucker. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. Some of it is financial. Some of it is karma. And some of it is just figuring out who the fuck said that. And we know who said that. And where he fucking lives. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. You wish that on people. You wish that families starve while you're making 27 fucking million dollars a year for creating nothing? Be careful, motherfucker. Be really careful. Because that's the kind of shit that stirs shit up. Peace out.